the Slaughter and May podcast. Hello and welcome to the fifth in our series of Slaughter and May podcasts, looking at key topics for employers in the context of the COVID-19 pandemic. My name's Claire Fletcher and I'm a professional support lawyer in the employment team here at Slaughter and May. And I'm Catherine Flower, Senior Counsel in the employment team. Today's podcast focuses on absence and holidays in the context of COVID-19. Catherine and I will talk through a number of scenarios involving COVID-related absence and how these should be managed by employers. We'll then end with some key practical takeaways. I should mention that this podcast is being recorded on the 4th of August and reflects the law and guidance as it stands today. Catherine, let's kick off with the most obvious type of absence, sickness with COVID-19 or its symptoms. Although this is the most obvious and straightforward, it is also probably the least prevalent, at the moment at least. The government did, however, confirm last week that people who test positive for COVID-19 or have symptoms must now self-isolate for 10 days rather than the previous seven. This is in the context of fears about a resurgence of the virus. Employees in these circumstances will be entitled to statutory sick pay. SSP is payable at a current rate of £95.85 per week for a maximum period of 28 weeks. Employers should be aware that SSP may be payable for more than one COVID-related absence. We'll discuss some of these in a moment. There have been a number of changes to SSP in relation to COVID. Can you talk us through those? Sure. There have been three main changes. Firstly, SSP will be payable from the first day of COVID-related sickness absence, rather than the usual fourth day. The three waiting days have been temporarily suspended, but only in relation to absence related to COVID. Secondly, the evidence requirements for SSP have also been relaxed. Employees are able to apply online through an NHS portal for a COVID isolation note instead of obtaining the usual fit note from their GP. And finally, a statutory sick pay rebate scheme has been put in place for employers with fewer than 250 employees. These employers can reclaim up to two weeks of SSP per employee for absence related to COVID-19. Of course, employers may also have an enhanced sick pay policy that might be applicable here. So the next scenario we want to look at is an employee who doesn't have COVID-19 or its symptoms, but who is self-isolating. And this could be for a number of reasons, uh, such as because they live with somebody who has those COVID-19 symptoms, or because they've been notified through NHS test and trace that they've come into close contact with somebody who's tested positive. These self-isolating individuals will also be entitled to SSP under new regulations enacted to deal with the COVID outbreak. However, SSP will only apply if, by reason of that self-isolation, the individual can't work. And the main example of this is people whose jobs can't be done from home. It probably doesn't cover a scenario where the employee could do their job from home, but can't during the period of self-isolation for example, because they also have children at home and no other childcare provision. It's quite a novel situation, giving sick pay to employees who may well be fit and able to work. It's not likely to be that popular with employees either, is it, given the relatively low rate of SSP? No, absolutely. Uh, And there's real concern about how successful test and trace will be uh, if employees don't want to have the financial penalty of self-isolating. 
And we know that the government is being lobbied on this to increase SSP entitlement. In the meantime, however, employers need to come up with a policy for managing this type of absence. Uh, this could involve offering enhanced sick pay for self-isolation, if that's financially viable for the employer. An alternative which is suggested by the NHS Test and Trace workplace guidance is that employers should consider offering the employee the chance to take holiday as a fully paid alternative. And we'll come back to holiday later in the podcast. OK, so let's move on to look at the position of those who are shielding, or I should say have been shielding until recently. The guidance on shielding was, of course, paused on the 1st of August, at least in relation to England, Scotland and Northern Ireland. It will continue until at least the 16th of August in Wales. It is also still continuing in areas of local lockdown, such as Leicester and Blackburn, and we are likely to see this being a feature of local lockdowns in the future. Where people are shielding, they are entitled to SSP. However, where shielding has ended, so will the entitlement to SSP, and the expectation seems to be that those individuals return to work. The COVID Secure Workplace Guidance has been updated to state that, from the 1st of August, clinically extremely vulnerable individuals can go to the workplace as long as it is COVID secure, but should carry on working from home wherever possible. Of course, many individuals will be understandably very reluctant to return to the workplace. Yes, and home working will presumably continue to be the best first option in that scenario. Yes. And we think this would include offering alternative roles that can be done from home if their usual role can't. Employers will need to carry out specific risk assessments and potentially involve occupational health to determine the best way forward for returning shielders. It is likely that employers will need to make reasonable adjustments for returning shielders, whether as a result of them being classified as disabled under the Equality Act or as a result of the employer's duty to take reasonable steps to protect the health and safety of its employees. These adjustments may include providing more stringent social distancing and COVID secure measures, and PPE provision in the workplace. It may also include a further period of company sick pay, even where SSP no longer applies, if there is no viable alternative. Now, the shielding regime is, of course, for those who are defined as clinically extremely vulnerable. There is an important distinction between those individuals and others who are classed as clinically vulnerable. This latter category aren't within the scope of the shielding regime and they're not entitled to SSP, unless, of course, they fall into one of the other categories. However, that's not to say that the clinically vulnerable group don't have relevant protections. That group includes, for example, pregnant women, Uh, for whom employers already owe enhanced health and safety obligations. So if a pregnant woman doesn't feel able to return to the workplace, one solution might be a health and safety suspension on full pay. The employer might also need to think about the position of employees living with those who are shielding or have other vulnerabilities. So those employees, again, won't be entitled to SSP, but may have similar reservations about attending the workplace. And we discussed the position of reluctant returners in our first podcast. There are a number of options which should be considered in consultation with the employee. So moving away then from the health context to another big challenge that the pandemic has created, the challenge of caring for children and other dependents. The early stages of lockdown saw schools and childcare providers forced to close, leaving many parents juggling childcare with working from home. 
Although schools are due to reopen in September, the recent increase in the prevalence of the virus puts that in question. There is also the possibility of local lockdowns closing schools and childcare providers. Employees have a statutory right to take a reasonable amount of time off work to care for their dependents. There is no statutory right to pay for this time off, but some employers might offer to do so depending on the contract or workplace policy. The amount of time off an employee takes to look after someone must be reasonable for the situation. The pre-COVID case law and guidance has interpreted this as not usually exceeding two days on the basis that the intention is for the time to be used to deal with the emergency by, for example, arranging alternative care for the dependents. However, in the context of the COVID outbreak, it won't be easy for many people to make those sorts of alternative arrangements. So we think that employees might be entitled to longer periods of absence than we've seen in the past. So what other options are there? Well, besides dependence leave, there's also unpaid parental leave. Parents who have been continuously employed for at least a year are entitled to up to 18 weeks unpaid parental leave per child. However, unless the employer agrees otherwise, employees are not able to take more than four weeks leave in respect of any individual child per year and must take the leave in blocks of at least a week at a time. Other than that, employers may agree another period of unpaid leave or offer the option of the employee to take annual leave to cover their caring responsibilities. The next topic I want to look at is one that's been a a quite a hot topic politically in the last few months, and that's quarantine following return to the UK after international travel. So these rules were first imposed on the 8th of June, uh, requiring most arrivals into the UK to self-isolate for 14 days. Unlike test and trace, the quarantine regime is subject to criminal enforcement. A breach of this type of self-isolation could result in a £1,000 fixed penalty notice in in England, Uh, or potential prosecution and an unlimited fine. So employers will need to consider how they will treat an employee who needs to self-isolate under the new quarantine rules. An instruction to work from home where feasible is likely to be the first option. If, however, the employee can't work from home, it seems that, again, unlike other types of self-isolation, they won't be entitled to SSP. And we're not seeing many examples of employers offering company sick pay in these circumstances. Uh, The options appear to be requiring the employee to take additional annual leave or alternatively unpaid leave during the quarantine period. Of course, employers may feel unable to support employees being absent from the workplace for an additional 14 days on top of any holiday period. Employers do have the ability to restrict when employees take holiday under the Working Time Regulations 1998 by providing notice of at least the same length as the holiday period. Employers may consider using this power to restrict employees taking holiday for as long as the quarantine restrictions remain in place. However, such a policy is likely to be unpopular from an industrial relations perspective, particularly with employees who struggle to take holiday at other times of year, such as those with school-aged children. And employers need to be mindful of the benefits of taking annual leave at the moment, and in particular the impact on mental health. It is also something of a blunt instrument, since employers cannot regulate whether employees choose to go abroad on holiday rather than stay in the UK, and it would therefore prevent any holidays in the UK as well as abroad. Uh, And there's also, of course, the possibility that employees might want to travel abroad for reasons other than holiday, for example, to visit a sick relative. 
And in that scenario, employers need to be careful that they don't indirectly discriminate against some groups of employees by adopting a blanket policy or a blunt instrument, as you say, Catherine, which could put the these employees at a disadvantage, at least without sufficient justification. What about work-related travel? Well, there are some exceptions from the requirements to quarantine, including in relation to work-related travel. If, however, those exceptions don't apply and the employee needs to quarantine after a period of work travel, we would say it would be reasonable for the employer to pay them for that period, and a distinction could validly be drawn from holiday-related quarantine. There have, of course, been some easing of the restrictions from early July with the introduction of travel corridors. However, the apparent resurgence of the virus in Europe and the recent reintroduction of restrictions on travel from Spain and Luxembourg shows that the quarantine rules will continue to pose challenges for employers for some months to come. I want now to look at annual leave more generally and some of the particular challenges we have seen employers face. In the early days of lockdown, we had a lot of queries about whether employees could cancel a period of holiday, for example, because their flights had been cancelled. Legally, the employer does not have to allow this and can insist that the employee takes the holiday, although we would suggest that some discretion is exercised depending on circumstances. The flip side of that is whether employees can be required to take holiday, as I mentioned a bit earlier. There are some circumstances when this would not be possible, including if the employee is entitled to SSP during that period. However, in other circumstances, employers must take care not to use this right unreasonably. The law on this is still developing, but our view is that if the requirement to take holiday is limited, for example, in proportion to the period of lockdown, the risk of challenge should be low. I agree. And the government was obviously aware quite early on in the pandemic that holiday entitlements could cause issues for employers. And at the end of March, it introduced a change in the law to allow workers to carry over some or all of their holiday entitlement into the next two leave years where it's not reasonably practicable for the employee to take that leave because of the effects of COVID-19. What does that mean in practice? The guidance we have so far suggests that the carryover right could apply if uh, an employee is self-isolating, if they're too sick to take holiday, or if they've had to continue working during lockdown. So is it what's reasonably practicable for the employer or for the employee? Well, both, it seems. The analysis is going to depend both on the employer's circumstances, so their business needs and the ability to arrange cover, but also the individual's circumstances, uh, their health and their need for a break. The emphasis, though, in the guidance is that carryover shouldn't be the default approach and employers need to try and ensure that employees can take as much of their holiday as possible in the current leave year. So it sounds like employers will need to amend their annual leave policies to deal with this new carryover right. They will need to consider not just when to allow carryover and how much, but how any carried over holiday should be dealt with, bearing in mind there are some restrictions. We suggest that workers should be allowed to take their new holiday before they take their carried over holiday, since the carried over holiday entitlement lasts for longer. It would also be good practice for the employer to inform workers of both, the right to carry forward leave if it can't be taken, and how much leave will be carried forward. So the final point I'd like to note very briefly is how furlough interacts with each of these types of leave and absence. 
Uh, furloughs, of course, only likely to be relevant until the CJRS closes at the end of October. And since the scheme is now closed to new entrants, all of what I'm about to say assumes that the individual in question can still be furloughed at this stage because they've already been furloughed prior to the 10th of June. If then an individual is entitled to SSP, such as those who are self-isolating or shielding, it might be possible for them to be furloughed instead. However, the guidance is not very clear on this. And it suggests that the entitlement to SSP must have ended before the individual can be furloughed or that there needs to be a business case for an individual to be furloughed in these circumstances. So some caution needs to be exercised here and we'd suggest that employers get specific advice in their particular circumstances. More straightforward then would be the possibility of furloughing somebody who's struggling to balance childcare and work and it may also be possible to furlough an individual for the period of quarantine following international travel. So pulling all of this together then, what are the key takeaways for employers? Well, self-isolation is going to continue to be an issue. You need to make sure your policies are fit for purpose. You'll also need to think about the impact of COVID-related absence on other areas of your business. Will you treat it in the same way as other absences? For example, in the triggers for an absence management process or for benefit accrual. Consider what your policy will be on holidays, whether that is carryover, cancellations or required absences. And finally, keep records. This is important for SSP and holidays in particular. Thanks, Catherine. That brings us to the end of today's podcast. Thank you all for listening. We've got one more episode in this series on flexible working, which we'll be publishing next week. You can find all the previous podcasts in this series on our website. In the meantime, if you'd like more information about anything we've discussed in this podcast, please feel free to contact either Catherine or me or your usual Slaughter May contact. Thank you and goodbye for now. For more information on this topic or to hear our other podcasts, please visit www.slaughterandmay.com. You can also subscribe to the Slaughter and May podcast on iTunes or Google Play.